So today, um, we're going to talk about some of the, the, the pastoral commitments. And so this sermon net that I'm going to preach is really something that uh, I preached before we even got started to the, the 15 or 20 of us that were, that were assembling before we even started uh, Remedy, that January the 25th, 2009, a couple weeks before that, um, it was just 15 of us who were having some Sunday morning sermons, we're, we're practicing to see what a Sunday service would look like, and um, as we were doing that, I, I promised them some things as their pastor that I, I would commit myself to, and so I'm, I'm going to re-preach that because I am committing to it again. There's, there's been no change in these particular things that I want us to know about. So I'm going, to, I'm going to preach it. However, there is one difference. Instead of saying it in first person singular, it's going to be in first person plural because there's two elders now. And so these are things that Jack and I and any other elders that might come that we are committing to you as pastors. So uh, let me pray and then we'll jump in. If you have a Bible, you can open up to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that as we look at it now, that we would, as always, be moved. That your word tells us, particularly in this particular book we're going to look at, that it's been breathed out by you, it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may competent be equipped for every good work. And so we do pray, Lord, that it would do that right now, that as we talk about some commitments that the elders have to the church, that it would do much more than just give us information about what the elders want to promise, but also, God, that it would do an amazing work in our own heart. It would cause us to have these things happen in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, and if you're unfamiliar with this text at all, this is Paul writing to Timothy at the very end of his life, so we're, we're kind of getting the last bit of advice from an old dying pastor to a young church planter, and basically saying, I know things are going to be tough, I know things are going to be hard, these are some things I want you to know as a church planter that I have experienced, Paul, um, in my life. And so you can see right here, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And as we were looking at in the presence of God, we need to realize that there's really no other presence that matters, because we're all always in the presence of God. And so as we look at that, we should realize that we are as well, as Paul's saying, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. And then he tells this young pastor right here, preach the word. Be in season and be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teaching to suit their own passions, and uh, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So, as I promised four years ago, five years ago, and I'm promising again today, a pastoral commitment, a, a promise from your elders is that we are going to teach and preach. The Word of God. Um, now, for some people, they've come here to this church because of that. They've they they said, and so so many words. We've we've decided that we want to come here because, as we've noticed that we've been here over the last few weeks, you guys pick a verse of scripture and just teach through it, and then the next week we come back to the next scripture and we go through. And so we like that. We want to be taught the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We want to know it, and so the reason why we're here is because you teach the Word of God. But some people are like, I don't like that at all. Um, and they'll leave. And that's because, as it says in verse 3, that as the pastor, we need to be ready in season and out. 
for those that love to hear the word of God and for those that don't love to hear the word of God, we, we really can't change according to the wind. This is not something that Jack and I can just say, well, you know, um, people would really stay if we kind of lessened it out and made it a little bit softer, made it a little bit more palatable, didn't talk about blood, didn't talk about Jesus, didn't talk about sacrifice. But again, that would be going against Scripture. And there's just no way um, that we, we, can, we can do that. And so we are promising you, even again, we're recommitting, even though I, I, I think over the last five years we've been faithful to it, that we're going to preach and teach continually the Word of God. Um, Calvin says, Consequently, the gospel will not maintain its place in the church if pastors do not urge it earnestly. And so um, we realize that the best thing that we can do is to preach and teach the Word of God. What happens if we don't? You can see right there in verse 3, um, there are already people that want to have uh, accumulating teachers for themselves because they have certain things that they want to hear. Uh, and if we, if we preach the Word and they don't want to hear that, certainly they might leave. Um, but again, the goal is not that they would, they would leave and get mad at us, right? The goal in preaching and teaching the Word of God is because of what it says it'll do right there in chapter 3 at the very end. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, I really believe the Bible will do that. And so the best thing I can do, week in, week out, is not do um, my opinion on the latest fad in, in culture or try to just talk about things that aren't necessarily biblical. Instead, because I really believe if you're in church, like you want to grow spiritually. I, I don't think you're here just because you just want to hang out. You know, I think you really want to grow as a believer. And so the best thing I can do, if the Bible really does this, if it's really going to reprove or correct, train in righteousness, make you competent, make you equipped for every single good work, then the only thing that Jack and I can do is to teach you and preach to you the word of God. So that's the first thing that we're promising to you, is to teach and preach the Word of God. Now, the second one comes right out of uh, verse 2, um, and it's not necessarily the most, you know, the, the most famous thing as pastors that we have to do. After it says, preach the Word, be ready in season, out of season, and there's a little semicolon, and then he makes these other statements. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So, the second promise, or the second commitment that we promise as elders to do is that we will reprove rebuke and exhort you regarding your sin now you might say well that doesn't sound like a very fun job and let me assure you it's not and it's not like we're like lurking around every corner like hiding around your house and like waiting for the sin waiting for the sin ha ha i got you we heard it we know what you just said to your spouse like we're not doing that we're not like hoping you can sin a whole lot so that we can just say "Woo, more time to reprove and rebuke that's the life of the elder like we're not like excited about it it's not like sin some more just let him sin some more god we love this part like that's not it right um, but instead, we realize as elders, we're called to a, a higher, as pastors, we're called to a higher level of accountability before God. And so because of that, um, the commitment that we're making, when you hear this, you should hear this. God's committed to your holiness. Like, more than anybody, the Lord wants you to be like Jesus. And so I think that you should be, therefore, committed to holiness. Like, I think if we really, really got down to the heart of it, if you're in Christ, you would say, yes, I really do. I know that I sin. I know I do things that aren't necessarily in Christ. But really in, the heart, in my heart of hearts, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to obey. I want to be more Christ-like. And I'm just saying, when God wants it and when you want it, the same thing's with us. We do too. And the only way that's going to happen is if we come alongside you when we see stuff, 
if we see stuff. And out of love, I mean, it's not like we're, we're excited about it, but out of love, we we're going to come and we're gonna, if we see stuff. And you can see it as it says there. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. With complete patience and teaching. I mean, um, with teaching, whatever we say, hopefully we'll line up. And if, if it doesn't, then you should tell us. Line up with, with the word of God, but also with patience, that it's going to come from love. And as we do this, there's just a couple verses I'll read, and this is just kind of side notes, on maybe the way that I think the Lord would have you receive it, which is, a son hears his father instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. This is Proverbs 28. That was 13. This is Proverbs 28. When re- whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters him with his tongue. So in, in the beginning, if we or someone else who loves you, your community group leader or just a fellow uh, Christian in the church comes to you, and says, this is what I see. It's not because they're excited that they get to point out sin. It's because in the end, if you hear and you turn and you start following Christ and you put to death that sin after that, then you will certainly enjoy the benefits of righteous living. And that's really what we're after. We're after um, walking with Christ and the b- deep benefits that it brings to you. So thus far, I have a couple questions for you as we look at that. Um, if Jack and I are promising to teach and preach the word of God, will you also then, will you commit yourself to a lifetime of studying and learning and obeying the word of God? And the second one is this. If we're promising to um, do these things in regard to holding you accountable to your sin, will you commit to holding yourself accountable with the people that you do life with? Whoever you're doing life with, your closest friends, the Christians around you, I'm not asking you to go fi- meet strangers and say, hey, follow me around and just let me know my sin. But the people that you know, people that you love, people that you trust, people that you've invited into your life and said yes, then will you have that happen in your life? The third one is this. The third promise that we're going to make. Let's look at verse 5. It says, as for you, this is Paul again talking to the young church planner Timothy, always be sober-minded endure suffering now he's going to say suffering and then he's going to put a category that kind of fits under this banner of suffering in the midst of suffering one of the ways that you can suffer is by this this is what he says um as as for you always be sober-minded endure suffering and he says do the work of the evangelist fulfill your ministry so fulfilling his ministry would look like doing evangelism evangelism just literally means telling people the gospel of jesus telling them how to turn from death to life telling them how to become a christian tell them how to be saved um and so as he's as you hear this whole sentence then he's telling him as timothy you need to do the work of evangelist you need to make sure you're doing that and as you're doing the work of evangelist you're going to likely endure suffering that's likely going to come And it's going to look different 2,000 years ago than it does for us. As we um, want to tell people about Jesus and do the work of evangelism, we might endure suffering, but it probably won't be physical. It'll be far more uh, people saying things to us, putting us down, etc. So the third commitment as we look at this is this, that we promise to pursue a life of suffering evangelism with you. And the reason why I say suffering evangelism is because it's in the text. Uh, we could say, we, we commit to pursue a life of evangelism with you. And so, we all should say here, as a follower of Christ, I realize Matthew 28, don't go plant churches, but it's that as you go, make disciples. We're all supposed to make disciples, but we realize that might bring some level of suffering. Let me just give you a, t- a couple texts. Philippians 1, 29 says, For I has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe, but also suffer for his sake. Um, Romans 8, the Spirit 
himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children heirs, if heirs with God, then fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him and that we, or, we also may all be, that we also may be glorified with him. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony, this is 2 Timothy 1, nor of me as a prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. So we see over and over, and there's even in 2 Timothy 3.12, where he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So there's a, there's a reoccurring theme of suffering that we know is present in the Bible, but in this particular text, we see that it's also coupled with evangelism. He's telling Timothy that this is not his home, his home is in heaven. Therefore, while he's here, he's to do the work of evangelists to take as many people as he can home with him when it's time to go. And so evangelism may bring suffering, but he's exhorting him to fulfill his ministry, which means we are promising you that we're going to do that. But at the same time, we want you to fulfill your ministry because in 2 Corinthians 5, we've all been given the ministry of reconciliation. God, through us, calling other people to be reconciled through him. So every single Christian has been given this ministry. So we promise to commit to you to do this. And the last one is right here. You can keep reading with me in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. What does that mean? That basically means um, that language poured out as a drink offering means that he realizes that he is going not only to suffer for the cause of Christ, but likely be killed as a martyr for Christ. And that's just the language they use when they talk about um, dying that being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come realizing that he's in prison right now and likely he will be killed soon and he eventually was beheaded um, just a few years after this and verse 7 and he's talking about himself and this is what he says I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith I have kept the faith now five years ago whenever I was talking about this um, the fourth one I, I, I I've I was a little bit worded different, I, and I've changed it a little bit because um, God in his grace has actually uh, opened my eyes to some things, to s- how to say things a little better. So before I said that we're going to fight for you to keep the faith and fight in holiness, and it kind of sounded like the previous one. But this is the way I've changed it. So here's the fourth one. Jack and I, are, your elders, will commit to fight for you to keep faith in the gospel of Jesus. Keep the faith in the gospel of Jesus, which means this. We want to, as a church, be as gospel-centered as we can, which means um, for those that are not Christians, we want you to realize the only, the only uh, remedy that you need, the only thing that you need to hear is for somebody to come tell you about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for you on your behalf, that if you believe and trust in that, that you will turn from your sin, then Christ has done everything for you then, on the cross, he's taken the punishment you should have received. Like you, you should have received that punishment. Also, you should have lived perfectly, and you couldn't. And he lived that perfect life. And then this great transfer happens where all of his righteousness comes onto you, and the death that he took on um, is now taken for your behalf. And all you receive now is forgiveness from God because Christ took your penalty. All you receive now is the perfect life that's been given, or the theological word, imputed. And now you're counted as righteous. You're counted just as holy and righteous as Jesus. So how holy is that? It's perfect. You're counted just as holy and as perfect and as righteous as Jesus. And that's the message that we want you to hear for unbelievers. But for believers, we don't want you to hear anything different. We want you to hear the exact same thing. We believe that as Christians, you need to hear repeatedly 
that Christ has done everything for you. You need to hear repeatedly over and over that you are completely innocent right now as a Christian. And you're saying, well, I, I, I sin. I know that. But in the eyes of God, you are completely innocent. The only way that you're going to live a life, I think, of triumph is realizing that though Christ has forgiven all my sin, and now as a Christian, I might still sin. The only way I'm going to defeat that sin, the way I'm going to live in triumph, the only way I'm not going to feel defeated is that if someone continually tells you the gospel, continually tells you that Jesus has forgiven all of your sin, everything now is completely forgiven. You are 100% innocent now in the eyes of God. You need to continually hear that over and over. Every day you have to preach that to yourself. Because it's a battle to, to realize that the main mode of function, the main way we think is, now that I'm forgiven, now I need to do my best for God. And if I do my best for God for the next 20 or 30 or 40 years as a Christian, then he's going to be happy with me. And the days I read my Bible and the days I tell people about Jesus and the days I don't sin, he's more happy with me. But when I don't, then I have to be distant from him. I have to be scared and I have to stay away from him because once I finally get back into the grace of things and working and doing what I need to do, then I'm back in the right relationship. And that, that is debilitating Christian life. Over and over, you need to be told that you are never going to work yourself out of a relationship with Jesus. Instead, he's already done everything for you. You can't work back to a right relationship if you already have it in the beginning. And so we realize, I have to be told the gospel over and over and over and over. Now, if you're here today and you've never heard that, I mean, I, I've I've told people this repeatedly, and I've had people tell me I've never heard that before in my life. And so, if you're here for the first time and you've never heard that before, I invite you right now to trust Christ. If you've never heard the gospel, which is Christ has done everything for you, you can be completely forgiven in Christ and receive eternal life forever by believing in Jesus and turning from your sin. I invite you to do that right now, today. You can, as Colossians 1 said, be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. So let's conclude with this idea, and we're going to keep going in the story of Jesus. I mean, the story of Remedy. <laughs> um, he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so in, in these last moments, Paul is talking about basically the legacy that he is going to live. The legacy that he's going to leave, I should say. So I think as we look at that, maybe a good way to conclude as we, as we think about this is how will Remedy fight the good fight of faith? How will we leave a legacy? It's not, I'm not saying it's all about Remedy. Like in 50, 150 years, there still needs to be this awesome church named Remedy. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in 150 years, there needs to be a people who have been so moved by the gospel that they are transformed by it, that they are so in love with Christ, they can't imagine living their life without Jesus. And how are you going to leave that legacy? How are we going to, what's going to be the next five years of remedy? What's going to be the next 10 years of remedy, Lord willing? And so as we're looking forward to this, I, 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 would, I would ask you as you hear Paul say, I'm at the close of my life, I want to leave a legacy, that we as a church would be um, thinking about that. We'd start thinking about what, what do we want to start leaving, even though we're only five years old? What are the legacy do we want to leave here? Paul, as he's looking at his life in Acts 20, says this, and I just, I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I think this is a perfect verse for us to conclude with and think about what it might look like for us. If we're saying, if I want to leave a legacy, what would my life look like? What would be the most important things in my life? Acts 20, 24 says this. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only 
I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. That we, we have really, as believers, we have lots of things going on in life, but the main thing that's happening in our life, the main thing that we should be concentrating on in our life is saying, I want to finish the ministry of the Lord Jesus, which is to testify to the gospel of grace. We will not stop here at Remedy proclaiming the gospel. We will never stop as there are scores of people in, in Rock Hill that don't know Christ. There are just scores of people. We will not stop proclaiming this gospel. We have been so transformed by it, but we can't do anything else but say, come to Christ. And we're saying, as people of Remedy, continually join with us, continually partner with us, and let's see what God would do in this city as we proclaim the gospel together. I'm going to pray, and then we'll turn over to the next part of the video, hearing and seeing the continuation of the faithfulness of God here at Remedy. Let's pray. God, you've been so good to us. You've been so faithful. We pray that, Lord, as we um, continue celebrating, that you would just amaze us at how faithful you've been to us. I pray that we would, as a church, um, be committed to these things that we've heard, evangelism and the word of God, and hold each other accountable in pursuing faith in the gospel in deep levels. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.